This is episode 03 of Free as in Freedom for Tuesday, November 23rd, 2010. Hi, this is Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. And we have to go right to our topic that we promised the end of last episode. Okay. Or some point in last episode. I totally thought we were going to schmooze a little bit and talk about people proposing logos and all that good stuff, but we won't. People proposing logos again? Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yep. I got it. I got one by email, um, which I, was... I have to keep down. That's what is troubling. Disturbing. Why? Well, because I feel bad every time. I think I it's great. Uh, someone asked us if we could, if they could make a sticker um, with "Free as in Freedom" on it, and I thought that was really cool. So we could make those logos available if people want us to. Oh, they're they can make their own stickers. This. Not all of them. Oh, okay. But I could we'll ask the that. person who made the other one to see if he wanted it to be put up. It looked like my logo, but different. A way. little bit, yeah. Anyway, well, I guess that's enough. That's enough introduction. We'll go right into the topic that we promised last time. Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, was there anything? Was there any other news we had to provide? And now that you got me all worried that we didn't cover something we were supposed to cover. Don't be worried. Was there information we had to give out? Oh, there's that stuff about the RSS feed being broken, which is probably true. Yeah. <laughs> well, as far as I know, the Software Freedom Law Center... RSS feed is still yeah, you guys just live and valid and redistributing. No, we simultaneously distribute. It's not redistributing if we're simultaneously distributing. But the show's under our copyrights, so SFLC is a redistributor under the CC by SA license of our copyrighted material. Um, they're a simultaneously distributor. <laughs> simultaneously, simultaneous distributor. <laughs> this is silly. This is pointless. Well, but that's actually an interesting question. If somebody holds copyright mm -hmm. and it just happens to be published at the same time, but... Well, hang on a second. So if you were an author of an article and you gave a website the right to publish first, even though you hold a copyright and it was going to be released under a free license, aren't they the distributor initially? Well, so I distributed to them under my copyright with terms, right? Which is well, I guess we it do, depends we, on you the and relationship. I do to SFLC. We distribute to SFLC. They're the first to re actually Dan Lynch is the first to receive distribution. He receives distribution. He makes a derivative work which he distributes back to us and then we distribute that work. Actually, I need to put Dan's copyright notice in. Dan has copyright on our show. Does he not? He could. He I must. think he does. He yeah, must, right? He does. Because he makes a derivative work. Yeah, he does. So I need to put his copyright notice in. Dan, I will put your copyright notice in from now on. So now, so the three of us have copyright. Then we distribute it both on the internet and to SFLC, who then redistributes it. There's so much distribution happening even before it's published. Right? I think this is a level of analysis that just... It's just not productive. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, what if we held a patent? Uh -huh. And it was GPL. What v3. if? What if? It, what if we're talking about this kind of stuff matters? Like in GPL v three, when somebody holds a patent and are they distributing? Did they knowingly rely on those patents? 
these questions matter. So, so even though it doesn't matter. I'm rolling my case, eyes, by the way. Yeah. Even though it doesn't matter in this case, knowing who distributed to whom often matters. I think if this were a case study, it might be a little bit different. But since it's a very simple situation where we require, I, I just think this, I'm going to be frank with you. I think this conversation is a waste of our precious listeners' time. Uh, they're going to write in and say. Our listeners' precious time. They're going to write in and say that they were interested. Send email to send email to Bradley specifically. No, if you think Karen. that this is a waste of time. Okay, and send email to Karen if you think it wasn't. Specifically. No, don't email me. <laughs> I mean about this. Well, they should, they should email don't email me about this. We only publish one address on the website, although our other addresses, I suppose, are discoverable. Mine certainly is. Well, we publish a different email address at. Don't we? I don't know if we do actually anymore. I don't know. I don't know what you people do over there. <laughs> <laughs> so the topic we promised was this VLC thing, which is now kind of old news. But it is kind of old it. news. We didn't get to it last time. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't know. I think that, that maybe, not to be the person again who's advocating for um, for cutting down the silly discussion, but I think that the um, that the, the best thing that people could do if they want to um, learn a little bit more about it is to look at... Um, at Brett's post. Right. Well, so we should step back a bit, I guess. You just did it again. You did that I thing did where again. you talk about the stuff before the stuff. Right. So this started, well, some could say that this started when the FSF did a GPL enforcement action against Apple regarding GNU Go, which is an implementation of the Go game played with marbles. Uh, except you don't play with marbles when you play it on the computer. And someone used the GNU Go implementation and put it into an app for the Apple phone. So when people got it on the Apple phone, they got it under Apple's terms of service from Apple's phone application store. Which, among other things, limits the number of, um, of computers, effectively, that you can distribute to. Uh, yeah, it has various other terms that are contradictory to the GPL, which we'll get into in a minute when we talk about Brett's post. So someone noticed uh, that there was distribution of another GPL program, not copyrighted by FSF. So by, by the way, the reason FSF could do that enforcement action, as is usually the case with enforcement actions, is FSF is the copyright holder on GNU Go. Now, Not to be confused with the other Go. Oh, right. Well, it's the language. <laughs> but uh, that's Google named it after themselves. Yeah, but, well, right. Um, but FSF has the copyrights because it's not Google Go. <laughs> well, they, the FSF has copyright on the GCC front end. The, the Go language system has lots of stuff. Wait, I'm really confused that we've, we've switched topics here. No, I haven't switched topics. You said the FSF has okay. copyright on, on the Google thing as well. Well, no, I wasn't. Actually, I... I You're saying there's two things named Go, and I'm talking yes, about the game. Right. And you were pointing out that And I did forget about... Thing. Right. right. Uh, but I was, I was... And I was pointing out that FSF... And, and I thought you were pointing out that FSF has copyrights which is, on... Which is true. Both Goes. That's, that's true. Which is a little bit true. It's a, right. It's the a place little bit where true. It's, and I was explaining the place where it's false, which is right. that the only thing FSF... With regard to the Go, that's a language. Right. Um, this is all namespace collision. That's the problem here. Anyway, but the, 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 the GNU Go that is a language is a front end to GCC 
And that's the only part that FSF holds copyright on because Google assigned copyright on the, that part so that it could be part of GCC. But there's right. also other things in, if you golang.org or whatever the website is, Google has, maybe it's golang.com. Right. I don't know. Where they give the language. But that's the new Go. We're talking about the Go that's been around for thousands of years. The game. Yeah, because that's been around for thousands of years. The language certainly has not because it's been two years. But the app is not around for thousands of years either. Well, now it's gone. And because because this is the interesting, people don't realize this. uh, One of the things that ends up being true is that when you do GPL enforcement, one of the outcomes is the entity doing the distribution can just agree to cease distribution. Because there's nothing really you could get from, example, for example, a court if they've stopped infringing your copyrights. Well, actually, from a theoretical perspective, you can possibly show prior harm. I mean, harm prior, you know, while the distribution was continuing. That's true. So I wouldn't say that that's necessarily well, you true. Have to, but you have to show, show actual harm, not statutory damages, right? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think there are a couple of different legal theories on this, but mm-hmm. I would just, I would... I just didn't want to mislead our listeners. It's usually the case that it's not worth the, the only thing you else put. Well, it was just talk practically, or I guess this is my point initially so is that if we talk ceases, practically, it's a little bit easier. If distribution ceases of the infringing program, then the only thing you could sue for is damages for the patent. You can't sue for compliance. You can't demand that they come into compliance if they say we're never going to touch your copyrighted stuff before. And what we always care about most in GPL enforcement is compliance with the license, not ceasing distribution. The goal of GPL is not to get distribution ceased. It's to get compliance instead. And so if somebody chooses the I'm ceasing distribution option, no one really wants to bother to sue them over damages. I guess unless you're some sort of... Um, proprietary licensing company or whatever. That's a different story. But uh, people who actually care about free software communities wouldn't do that, generally speaking, as far as I know. Yeah, I mean, so ceasing distribution is usually a, a, a path out. Yeah, which is not the path we prefer. But of no. course, it's the one Apple prefers because Apple doesn't want to comply. And also, for some companies, it's hard to just stop distributing um, because sometimes the software is in is bundled with hardware that's on shelves and that's Correct. in distribution mechanisms. But so. that's not how these Apple phone no, applications work. No, no. So but I was they, just saying it's not, it's not necessarily... They cease distribution right. on the GNU Go thing, and the VLC developers then discovered that they were also infringing VLC's copyright by distributing VLC for the iPad in the Apple phone store, or the Apple whatever it is store, the i store, because if you put i's in front of the thing, Apple suddenly gets a trademark on it, which is stupid. Um, I know that's not how trademark law works. Nope. But... but it sure feels like it. <laughs> um, so the VLC developers sent a letter and also made a post about it. Uh, and the difference about VLC is that when comparing it to FSF, VLC is one projects which I think are very respectable, which have multi-copyright holders. Everybody holds their own copyright, which also means that all the copyright holders may not agree about lots of things, such as whether or not to do enforcement. Uh, and in fact, what happened was some VLC developers wanted to do the enforcement. Other VLC developers were not so happy with it. Uh, there was actually disagreement in the VLC community about whether or not there was a violation of the GPL going mm-hmm. on. Uh, I happen to think that there was, and that's in part because uh, FSF believes that there was. Well, I think I think everybody agrees. 
Oh, I don't think so. You don't think so? I think there are people there. I mean, if we'll link to the mailing list threads and if people read the mailing list threads, they will find uh, that some people did not agree with the interpretation that the FSF put forward. Of, oh, I haven't. Okay. I haven't read the follow-up commentary. Yeah. There were people who disagreed. Interesting. Uh, I'm not going to start naming names in the thread because no. everyone will get online and see them and that's fine. Yeah, uh, but there were people who disagreed. Well, well, you said that you um, that you agree because it's the position that um, that the FSF has taken. But do you? I mean, having read all the responsive commentary, do you think that their criticism is adequate? I mean, is is accurate? And no. Oh, okay. I just was really confused. But by I, was, what you said. I was saying the reason I agree, the obvious reason I agree, is because I agree with the FSF. Generally speaking. Um, but I think you generally speaking agree with the FSF because you hold the same positions generally. I guess that's true. Right? I mean, you're not mindlessly following the FSF, even though you are a board I, member. Everybody thinks I am. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not, but people think that I am. So I guess I just increased that uh, likelihood. But, uh, well, luckily, you, you, you have me as a friend here saying, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, hang I, on a second. Yeah, it's, but, uh, but Brett did some substantial analysis of this, which we'll link to, uh, which basically if you go into the various different agreements, and, and like a lot of these rather horrible things, um, there are agreements that include each other by reference. So in fact, when you sign up for this Apple store thing, you're being covered by multiple agreements. That that's really, that's really common, actually. I mean, it's we, horrible. It's we've horrible. had experiences, you and I working together where we go to review some very simple, um, you know, web agreement and, um, and all of a sudden, it's not just one page or one agreement that you have to review. It's three agreements plus four policies plus some other general principles that are incorporated by reference. I, I don't want to name the uh, the particular initiative uh, that this refers to because I, I don't. I, I, I haven't done the re if I'd done the research independently and could say it, I would name it. But uh, someone uh, in the free software community told me they did the research themselves and discovered that a particular initiative had one of these setups where it was agreements included by reference, and in fact, it became a cycle. So the very last oh, agreement no. said you must comply with the terms of the very to, for more details on the terms that you must comply with. See this first agreement, and so you actually never found out the full terms because they recursively included each other in, into Cordum. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, 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 if I, if I, it's not that I'm trying to uh, to protect. I, I'm not trying to protect the guilty. I'm just. But it's really tough. I understand why companies do this, and you can even come up with a defensible position for doing it. Like you know, a lawyer could, I guess. Well, you know, there are different policies that apply to different things. But when they ask you to sign onto agreement, it's a little misleading. You know, because you think that if you just simply skim the things that are being talked about in this one agreement that you have a full grasp on what the situation is, but it's just simply not true. Um, and some of the things that you and I have seen together have been astounding, which I, I think I won't mention here yeah. just because yeah. it'll take too long. And Yeah, so so, but we'll link to Brett's full analysis, which we won't cover in here. I think it's better if people read it anyway. But the, the basic premise uh, of the argument is there are various parts of GPL that are very specific about not licensing under terms under other than GPL. Uh, and the, the classic place in GPL v2 is in section six where it says 
Um, you may not impose any further restrictions on the recipient's exercise of the rights granted herein. That's part of what makes it a copyleft, is you can't restrict downstream people mm -hmm. from engaging in the things that GPL allows. So the the Apple's st application store terms end up contradicting that by having various different terms that do restrict uh, what people can do with software mm -hmm. once they've gotten it and, and so forth. Um, so that's that's how it ends up being incompatible with the GPL. And those kinds of restrictions are things like, you know, limiting the number of, of distributions you can make of the software. Um, they are directly related to the four freedoms. Mm -hmm. um, things that are outside the four freedoms, are it can be a different story. So, for example, if the company is trying to limit, you know, w only provide service under certain circumstances, that's... A different situation right for example one of the requirements when you chase some of these inclusions of inclusions of inclusions of terms down you get to uh, additional application store terms of service that say you may download and sync a product for personal non-commercial use on any device under your you own or is under your control well you can do more than that with gpl you can put it on other people's devices etc Yep, and and the lister, I think the list that you're referring to is one of those um, lists that says you can only do these things. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so th those sorts of restrictions just aren't compatible with the GPL. And and one of the things that FSF did that I think people were confused about was was link this up to the DRM issue. And and I think I think the reason there was confusion about FSF's position was that, that it didn't connect the dots as perfectly as it could on how this relates to the DRM. The, the, the truth of the matter is that what Apple is doing, it's doing to control uh, people. What's interesting is that is that the funny thing about it is that Apple just doesn't want GPL software. What's funny is that in the, at least in one of the top level agreement, um, FOSS free and open source software licensing is defined basically as copyleft, mm -hmm. um, which is which I thought was a really interesting um, choice. And and I think all of these terms combined just to, to, to show that, you know, Apple wants control over the software on on, you know, in their app store and on their devices. And, um, you know, given the the ability to jailbreak, you know, I, I think that, that it's, it's, it's there. I, I think that Apple is fighting a losing battle over time, I hope. And what I think is really interesting is that Apple doesn't want GPL software in their app store any more than, um, than free software developers want their licenses infringed. Yeah. I, I think, I think on the other, on the free software side, it's complicated. I, I think a lot of the, the, the honest fact is a lot of people. Uh, license their code under GPL without fully understanding all the implications of when they license under GPL. I, I, honestly, it's true. A lot of people... It is the most popular know. license, and therefore, yeah. I think a lot of people just use it because everybody else uses it, and it seems yeah. to be the license. And I think some of the acrimony in the VLC community over this issue was that a lot of developers legitimately didn't know uh, that the kinds of terms that show up in the application store from Apple are the kinds of things GPL is trying to prevent on, on the fringe, on the fringe side, on the edge side, right? Because this is not the classic GPL violation that I find where there's no mm -hmm. offer for source code. In fact, there, there was source code available for this and all that other. Cause it's so, so, so many people think of GPL as I want to make sure everybody has access to my source code. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the, the, the shorthand of GPL in their mind that anybody makes anything based on my stuff, you have to give them source. That's how they think of GPL, and, and that's actually not all that GPL does. It's one of the things that copyleft uh, in the traditional sense for software 
achieves, but it's not the only thing it achieves. It achieves from basically stopping users from restricting the, as you were saying, the, the four freedoms. So, uh, so I think, I think that many developers were legitimately surprised, uh, because they hadn't studied this issue. They're not licensing geeks like we are, where they've studied these kinds of questions right. in, in this level of detail. Um, section, I spent a lot of time studying section six over the years in GPLv2. And, I, and of course, when I see things like this, it's odd. I'm, I, yeah, I, I can say things like, oh, that's clearly a section six violation. Oh, that's, a, that's, you know, that's, that's a section problem. Well, I think this also plays into a lot of um, misunderstandings about the GPL and, um, and, you know, what, you know, what the right, I think it, it maybe confuses issues in that it, it brings to mind issues of derivative works. And I think people may think that this is a derivatives work, derivative works issue, but it's not. And I think that if people, people sort of jump to the conclusion of, oh, I can't, I, the reason why I can't distribute my GPL software via the App Store is because it's an, it's the App Store and it's Apple and I can't combine those software. But that's not actually the reason why in this instance it's uh, incompatible. Correct in the in this particular detail. So um, there there was a derivative works question with this, which was with regard to the original developers of the application. They did they they basically released their source code on their website, as I understand it. I, I haven't checked mm -hmm, this myself, mm -hmm. but as I understand it, they released their source code. So so th that part of the would be violation doesn't exist because they were in compliance with regard to that. It's that they weren't in compliance. Either they or Apple was not in compliance with the further distributions. I think it's an interesting question for debate whether they have any compliance issues or mm -hmm. whether it's all Apple. Well, but, yeah, but we're just talking about this yeah. particular issue. Well, I'm talking about the recipient. The, right. the recipient gets it from Apple. Right, right, so, right. so Apple is clearly the violator there. Uh, whether or not, uh, for example, there was a Section 7 problem with what the uh, developers who put it on the application store did with Apple when they mm -hmm. covenanted not to they covenanted to allow Apple to do this is another question altogether. That could be actually a Section Seven problem under V two or yeah. I mean, there may be multiple yeah. angles of, of evaluation, but I think that I think that even in this discrete issue, I think it causes a lot of confusion that could conceivably increase. But is all I'm saying. Well, yeah, I think it can because because people don't think about these complex questions. Uh, the and and I, I think it's it's somewhat esoteric, but it's an interesting question whether the developers who agreed with Apple to put it on the App Store in the first place See, were you know, they violating. You know, I much rather go down this road and talk about this question than whether you know what the the distribution path and the copyright path is of our of our outcast where we three understand what we're doing. So. <laughs> Um, actually, there is a provision in the um, in the um, the top level agreement. I think that would cover that. Um, so you'd be in violation of the of the Apple agreement if nothing you, else. You talking about the top level agreement that that Apple's is, agreement, the App Store agreement. Yes, but is that the I same? Haven't, I mean, agreement? I haven't read it in a little while, but is that the same agreement that someone wishing to distribute something on the application store agrees to? That's the question. No, I, no, I'm talking about the um, I'm talking about the agreement that. Um, that someone who wants to distribute their software on the App Store must sign. Okay. Right. Yeah. Because there's also then the downstream. Because there's a, I think that I'm not, I don't quote me on this. I'm not mm -hmm. sure, but I think there's a rep that, that, that the, the signatory has to make that says that, um, that they're not aware that any rights or any other obligations of any other agreements or licenses. I'm, I'm, so at least there's a, there's something, there's something there. So actually, so what I was saying that was so funny is that it actually works both ways. It's a, it's a, you know, completely incompatible structure. Well, yeah, the whole structure is is designed. And, and in fact, I, this is where people think I'm spouting conspiracy theory when I say this, but but I don't think I am because I've, I've actually talked to Apple lawyers and their pathological dislike 
of the not even just like hatred of GPL is is just so seething and so complete that they actually believe that GPL is out to get them. And I think this all dates back to the Objective C situation. Uh, I think that I think that event at next when I don't think I know that. Oh, so so um, Objective C was actually one of the first examples of a very public GPL violation situation where. Uh, Steve Jobs, when he was at Next, uh, and the, his engineers invented Objective-C, and they wrote a front end, which was a bunch of object files, uh, which you just downloaded some object files from Next, and then you went to the FSF's website, and then you got the copy of GCC. And then when you typed make, you just suddenly ah. got some object files linked in that happened to be an Objective-C front end for GCC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was obviously a GPL violation. Uh, and Steve Jobs argued it for a while, disagreed with RMS. There's actually a, an email exchange somewhere. I think it's on the net. I've seen it. I, I but I think it, I think I saw it publicly back in the day because this was way back. This is the early '90s, uh, and this this was one of the first public GPL enforcements. And I think Steve Jobs got it into his head the GPL is designed to destroy what I know is right for the world because Steve Jobs has this weird belief that everything he does is to to solve all the world's problems he has this basically he's basically a narcissist who believes these things and so he he decided in his head at that time in my view that GPL was working against him and he continued along with that and anytime they run into GPL stuff the the Apple edict as far as I can tell is get rid of it as quickly as possible or acquire it as they did with cups for example right so it's it's very scary uh, and, and so I think it's a concerted effort I think that they thought about it carefully and they wanted to make sure that GPL things couldn't end up in the application store but there's so many things being put in the application store that they can't stay on top of everything and they miss stuff I think that's actually what's happening. Mm. I think that they would have they would have denied the VLC application. Oh, I, I, I think so. That's what I was saying when I was joking about uh, Apple agreeing. You know, I yeah. mean, it is, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think they absolutely would have denied if they had known. If they but had they, realized, they, they don't do enough checking in because there's lots of stories in the in the mainstream press about how applications get onto with get onto the application store with Trojans in them with all sorts of stuff happens all the time because they miss stuff because you can't review binary code that well, and obviously they're not doing source reviews so. So anyway, so that's that's the. Story. It may amuse our listeners to know that um, that there's a, a one of those giant um, Apple stores that's the big. Uh, they have those like um, glass cube stores right next to SFLC, so I see it almost every day, and think about. And you guys picked Apple. your offices to be there because you wanted to be close to them. Uh, well, you had much more of a hand in picking the offices than I, I did. No influence whatsever. <laughs> uh, but no, we we we. We the were, space was presented to SFLC, as, as you can attest to, was was there long before the Apple. The, there was a, a glimmer of an Apple store in, uh, I don't know, somebody's eye. Okay. All right. Well, that's. I think. Is there anything else on the VLC thing that we should cover? I don't think so. Okay. I think it's pretty interesting. Check out uh, Brett's analysis. Yeah. Well, well, there's there's a lot of threads on this, so there's a, there's obviously li- going to be links to the show note in the show notes to all these different places where things are mentioned. Yay, Bradley volunteers to do that in the show notes. Well, I have to, I have to do it anyway. <laughs> I have them all open right now because I was reading from them. So, Great. So they're all available. So uh, so I guess we'll we'll figure out. We, we, don't, actually, we don't actually know right now what we're going to talk about next. We're going we're gonna to go and, and when that little piece of music plays, we're going to decide that fast. Ready, go. Okay, everybody. Bradley has an announcement. 
Well, I don't have an announcement. Not really. <laughs> oh, well, you told me when we... We haven't talked about it in a while, but when we talked about this, you told me that you you had an announcement. Well, I made a decision that that some things are shouldn't be... Some terms should not be used. The, the term, Did you dent it? Yeah, it's already out there. It's in Identica. I've already said Oh, so this. you've already announced it. Well, it's not an announcement. You say it like it's a thing. Well, as someone it's who's like not a natural denter, I sort of feel like anything on... On Identica is if is in effect an announcement <laughs> <laughs> to the world. Well, it's uh, it is I, it I is. Have, I admit it to the world that I think the term open core is not actually usable. It's a really strange term. Well, it was invented by these people, these pro VC free software is only good, or I guess they say open source is only good if you can make tons and tons of money at it, and otherwise it's crap. Um, these folks decided the way to make lots of money is to, what I would say, do proprietary relicensing. See, I believed that Open Core was basically a version of the proprietary relicensing business model, which has various different shades of, of gray all the way to black of how bad it can be. Uh, and that's how I understood Open Core to be slowly but surely like moving just in that really direction. aggressive bad faith business models around well, free software. Well, it never starts that way. Well, it's funny because I first heard the term along with a lot of eye-rolling and um, as a negative moniker because it had been used in these marketing efforts um, in such a way that the people I was talking to were reading were already using it as a, as a critical term. Well, that's certainly good news because certainly the people who invented good news? it. <laughs> well, Sorry. certainly the people you don't even use good news. <laughs> use Thunderbird or something, right? I do use Thunderbird. Yeah. Do they rewrote the IMAP engine in GNU's? You can use GNU's now. It's not embarrassing to try and make IMAP work on GNU's. That's funny. So that people tell me they're people on Identica tell me that they're running it out of the BZR. Uh, they announced it on Identica. Branch. I guess. But, <laughs> so you could run GNU's now, and it wouldn't be horrible. But you're hating Max anyway. You know, I don't know that I hate Emacs. I just won't use it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, so these open core people, they they were they invented the term as something this was how they're going to make money. Martin Mikos gets up there and says how he's going to make millions and billions of dollars for free software developers and pay them to work. I don't know what his deal is. But and and other people like Matt. I mean, I think there are really strong business models around free software, or there can be. It's just you know, it's just these weird aggressive policies that or models that that are not. I, I think seem to me not that sustainable. Right, and 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 that's what I was going at. Specifically, these proprietary licensing models that require copyright assignment. But I I think what happened is slowly but surely, Open Core, as you were talking about the eye rolling thing became a way of saying of just basically putting a moniker on any free software business model or any business model around free software that folks thought was bad. And this sort of came to, in my view, it's a logical conclusion. Um, and actually well, it was basically used to describe any business model around well here's free what software. So so um, so this I have to give a little bit of background information. So there's this really great project called Linux Libre, which was started by Alexandre Oliva who is a GCC developer on his primary day job work, but he got really upset. Uh, he's actually uh, involved with the FSF Latin America, and he got really upset that there was Linux 
with proprietary software. And what he was identifying was these parts of Linux itself that are actually non-free software. And if you go into the Linux code base, you can actually find this. There's a file called Wentz uh, under the firmware's directory, which talks Wentz. about, I don't know why it's called Wentz. Like I think it's w from Wentz they came. Yeah. Um, so out. documenting all these places where proprietary software found its way into Linux because they are little firmwares that are in a pound include file that get loaded onto a card or other types of weird little proprietary uh, drivers and firmwares that are in there. And what Linux Libre does uh, is each time there's a Linux release, they get all of that out and then do a release of, Libre, of, of Linux that is truly Libre, that it doesn't have any of these proprietary components. And it's actually, really cool. Actually, it's been pretty good uh, over the last, I think, year or so. Yeah, I saw that. The stats the, were going down. Right. The amount of proprietary until software. Until this year, right? This release, most recent release, apparently went up. And Alexandre made a post that said that it went up. And in the post, he said that this was making Linux an open core project. And I agreed completely with Alexandre on all those other points, but when he used the word open core, I think it, it, it muddled the issue he was trying to express, which is there's lots of proprietary software in the default distribution of Linux. A lot of people criticized him saying, well, the whole thing about open core is using proprietary licensing to make money and nobody who actually puts Linux together or proper, Linux proper, the actual distribution. Right, but there is really no actual open definition of open core anyway. Well, and that's the pro And then when I realized that, I, 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 I said that, what I thought he was calling open core was not what I thought was open core. And then I found I was doing to him the same thing that these open core hardcores, as it were, uh, were doing to <laughs> me. Because the people who were really into open core were saying what I was saying was open core was not open core. And then that's when I came to the conclusion that, that we just need to dispose of that term right. completely because it's, it doesn't have any real meaning. Yeah. I Did I mention already that that's like cloud? Well, yeah. I've been I, thinking it as we've been sitting here and I can't remember if I've already said it, but... Well, and, I, I, and RMS has actually said that the term cloud was a bad term because it doesn't mean anything. And he's right about that. Uh, he it doesn't is. actually And actually, I just sit there while these lawyers talk about the complex issues in cloud computing. And I'm like, well, three quarters of the complexity is that you're, you're talking about a hundred different things. Well, and you're talking the about same things time. that already existed anyway. Yeah. So I'm talking about things like client-server computing and virtualization mm -hmm. and hosting and web services and th there's all these different things that people hey, well it's funny because people say oh the new frontier of cloud you know and legal issues blah 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 but it, it seems really silly to me i so i i agree with stallman actually that the term is really well, and i think that's what confusing. what's been shown with open core i and the thing i was talking about that i've been calling open core is basically proprietary relicensing so i'm just going to go back into using that old term from from seven years ago that yeah. we coined to mean taking something that's copyleft, making sure you have all the copyright and then selling. Well, the meaning, that's a, a really license. narrow, I mean, that, that's a, a really narrow term. It's clear what it means. Well, and there's a, there's a spectrum on that though. There's, well, there's sure. some proprietary licensing that's relatively benign. There's some that's less benign. There's some that's yeah. basically truly disturbing. Well. <laughs> so I, I'm going to go using, to using that term and focusing on that term uh, instead of saying open core. Um, I've tr I think I've convinced uh, Alexandre uh, to give it up as well. He likes the term free bait or free, free bait? bait. I've not heard that. So that's the term he's made up. Free as in bait. Basically, it's like free as in beer, isn't it? I mean, well, it's basically giving people mostly free software, but then tricking them into using some proprietary software too. Oh, that's a so little bit different. That's the idea. Free as yeah. in bait. It's free bait. I gotcha. Mm. Um, I, I'm not nuts about the term, but at least he coined it himself and it has a meaning that he gave it and that's fine. Um, 
Um, it's sort of similar to the, the classic freeze and heroin term, um, which is the idea right. of giving people zero charge proprietary right, right, software right, right. so that to they get them start hooked. using it. Yeah, to get them hooked. Yeah. And then you know, the first hit's free. Um, so, so that's sort of similar fra- you know, phrase uh, in that regard. Um, so just to close the loop from the beginning, of, of the announcement is that you won't be using the term open core anymore, which considering you were using it a lot, I, th- I think is... Yeah, well, because the, the business model that I was criticizing, there's a better term for it. Uh, and I'll probably have to say things like proprietary licensing spectrum, uh, which you See, don't like. I just don't. Yeah. I, we need to come up with some better. Uh, this is like always our problem. We need to come up with better terminology all around for everything. <laughs> well, and one of the problems I think that we have is, in fact, it happens on both sides uh, of, of the debates, is that the people who want to exploit free software and don't, don't care one whit about software freedom, but want to get into this business and make tons of money, those folks want to come up with terms that are marketing terms that make them look all great and nice and friendly. And people like Alexandre, like me, for that matter, want to find terms that convince people how dangerous various practices are, things that we think are bad for software freedom. So, in fact, so that's sort of sort of a marketing thing on both sides, like this thing with market with Alexandre saying free bait. Well, he's trying to do marketing, which is marketing of an idea of freedom and why it's important to care about your freedom when you download Linux. And the Matt essays and Martin Mikos of the world are trying to, to market this idea that proprietary relicensing is the best thing since sliced bread and everybody mm-hmm. should do it. So it, that's when you get into badly defined terms. When somebody's trying to sell you something, whether it's an idea like free software people trying to sell you the idea of software freedom in some sense, and people on the other side are trying to sell you their products. Um, so we actually need folks to come up with more neutral, neutral terminology, terms, yeah. yeah. And I mean, this is the kind of thing that, that anthropologists and other types of people, when they analyze this, do. But obviously, our community evolves quickly enough that it's difficult. And I only know one anthropologist who's bothering to study us. So, <laughs> um, so I think it, I think it'll be some time before we have terms that. Well, are, but it's also too late. I mean, it's a problem. By the time that you can look at a situation neutrally, the terminology is already well in use, and it's tough to switch people over. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the classic thing. I mean, RMS, I, I think, fights a lot of issues on this front. The whole intellectual property thing. I, I think it's an important fight. I fight that fight, too, because I think the term intellectual property is a marketing term invented by lawyers whose goal is to hurt people. I. Nina Paley has this great, I'm just sorry for interrupting you. Nina Paley has this great cartoon about intellectual property. I don't know what that means. Is that like scatological humor? Or, <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. Okay. Now I do get it. Well, it's basically a, you know, a commentary on how stinky the term is. Yeah. So I, so I, think, I, I think the lawyers invented that term to market to people that somehow uh, the, the, your, what you get a patent on is like your cup of coffee. It's something you like own. Your cup have of a, coffee, something you yeah. own, you have a right to, to use right, like, and exploit like, in any way like you want. The land your house is built on, if you that own too. that land. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Why software shouldn't have owners? <laughs> There's actually an RMS for an essay once called Why Software Shouldn't Have Owners. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I think I was, I, I should check this, but, um, but I think that the number of syllables in intellectual property is no greater than what actually just saying copyright patent and trademark, which is what people generally mean when they're talking about intellectual property. And actually, they're usually talking about copyright and, and patent because because people 
don't want to throw trademark in there as often because trademarks are so much weaker in some sense and, and not and so much more benign. Actually, a lot of times I find that people are talking about copyrights and um, cop. Wait, I'm just talking about copyrights myself. and patents or copyrights and trademarks. <laughs> copyrights and trademarks because there's often in the um, in the lawyerly world there's a there's like a split between what they what some people call the softer side of copyright and the mm tech side of copyright and so you know thinking of the um of copyrights and trademarks is kind of the softer side and um is that like the softer side of sears um perhaps (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know what to say to that (laughs) well you know that commercially well actually i've never Heard or heard that commercial or seen the ad, because but I've heard so many references to it, including in the pilot of Buffy. Yeah, um, that's why I figured you would know it from. That's why I knew you would know it. Where, um, where what's amazing is that there's a different woman cast as um, as Willow. Is that true? Yeah, she she looked completely different than Allison Hannigan. Didn't they refilm that or something? They may have, okay. but I have I had a copy. I don't know where I have. That somebody gave me is. Are you admitting you have a copy of something without? A no, I, I actually think that it was purchased for me from some legitimate source as a birthday present back mm, in the nineties. Legitimate source of a. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't. Well, it doesn't have a creator endorsed mark on it. So. I, w- I once had a copy of the of the U.S. pilot of Red Dwarf. Is that was that a uh, exciting to have in some way? No, it was horrible. Oh. <laughs> but I wanted to see it anyway. Right. So, and they got somebody that I knew to play cat, and I can't remember who this. My wife just showed me a picture of them. Yet. I think now that we've gone segue to TV, we can uh, we can wrap up. They're, they're doing another season of Red Dwarf. It's horrible, but they, they all need money, I guess. My I'm wife surprised. showed me a picture tonight of them, and I didn't even recognize them. So, email us if you have any questions. <laughs> you don't want to talk about Red Dwarf. I uh, sorry, uh, Dan Lynch of halfbakedmedia.com. He likes Red Dwarf. That's why I'm saying it. <laughs> you get two plugs in this episode. <laughs> Three, actually. His computers are named after Red Dwarf things. That's pretty great. So email us your questions. Oh, we need to get a little automated voice that tells people everything at the end, because that's what Linux Outlaws has. What do you mean? They have a little computer voice that tells them, you can find us on IRC, because oh, 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 oh. like, they can find me on IRC, on Pound, F-A-I-F, on Freenode. They can't find you there. No. Sometimes, maybe. It's just slash join. There's not, not that many yet. people there. You could slash join. Nobody would bother you. And then when people start coming, you'd have to hide. <laughs> but you don't want people to know you're Nick on Freenode either. There is that. Yeah. Although, I'm sure you can easily find out. One could easily find out. I don't think it's publicly available. I, I, don't think, I don't think people can figure it out. I wonder. Unless they know. You don't, you don't join any channels, do you? I have. I I, well, I can I have from time to time yeah, for a meeting or something, but you you, you don't. I don't, you don't hang out on any I channels. No, I don't auto join. So yeah, I'm on pound. If I but you should auto join Bradley. I was going to say us, but auto join. No, don't don't auto query me and say things <laughs> to me. I get too many people slash querying me and saying random crap on free note as it is. Um, I've gotten I've gotten it's got it's gotten so bad at times when I. I Thought I couldn't get on free anymore. Well, but, but we do we do appreciate yeah, but, your emails. We've had a couple of good ones lately. Yeah, so and that's uh, that's at fif.us pound fif on Freenode, and can they SMS us? No, can they? Um, no, 
Oh, the Denica? There's an Identica group. You can dent us. Yeah, there's an Identica group, FAIF cast. And yeah, there's a group. You didn't know this? Nope. And there's also an account, which is FIIF. Right, well, that I know. Yeah, so the account and the group are different. Anyway, get in touch with us if you'd like to, and we'll talk to you next time. and Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of HalfBakedMedia.com. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. Free as and Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Please provide any feedback to obcast at faif.us. Trying to be the entire <laughs> Linux outlaw listener base of doing different instruments. They did trumpet this week. It's you know? not like I play flute.